Welcome to Drupal Easy Podcast, episode 204. My name is Mike Anello, and joining me today is Tim Lennon and Neil Drum from the Drupal Association. In a minute, we're going to dive a bit uh, deep into the uh, Drupal.org tooling changes, I guess is a good way of saying it, or experiments or prototypes. I'm going to let uh, Tim and Neil uh, describe it uh, in a second. Um, but first, let me introduce both of them a little bit more. Tim, you are the director of engineering for the DA, um, and you are also, I think where people might, you know, see your name or hear from you the most is you do the monthly updates, um, I guess they're blog posts for uh, what's new on Drupal.org, correct? That's correct. Yep. I do those monthly updates, and I also do our um, bi-weekly change notifications for the engineering team if we are one of the super nerds in the Drupal community who follows those. All right, Roger that. And Neil, you know, you've been around, I'm going to guess, longer than I have. How, how many years have you been involved in Drupal? I think about 13 years now, yeah, maybe that, maybe 14. That's longer than most. Your, um, your official title is Senior Technologist at the Drupal Association, I believe. I pulled that off of, uh, actually, no, I think Tim added that for me, so thank you, Tim. Um, Neil... Let me start with you. Um, I don't think you've been on the podcast before, right? Or maybe you have. Uh, no, I don't think I have. Okay. okay. I feel like we've had so many people on from the DA, but that, that's okay. So real quick, how did you... Well, actually, let me ask you this first. What's your Drupal.org user ID? Because 13 years, that's got to be... Is it four digits, three digits? Do, do you know off the top of your head? Four digits? Do you know yeah, four digits. Four it's digits? Uh, three... 3064. Yeah, so you were in, is that Drupal 4 point something days? Yeah, 4 point something, I think. Yeah, definitely 4.3-ish, maybe 4.2. How'd you get your start in Drupal? What, what brought you to the community? Uh, one of my friends from college uh, started uh, volunteering with the Howard Dean campaign uh, and like messaged me on AOL Instant Messenger, which existed then, uh, and like, hey, do you want to help write, uh, help people build websites for for Howard Dean? Uh, and then, yeah, went, went from there. I mean, the campaign didn't quite go as everyone hoped, but. Uh... And Tim, how about you? How'd you get your start in Drupal? Uh, mine's also kind of a college story. So um, I was in college during um, the release of 4.6, I think it was. And um, I was here in Portland going to read and just to put myself through school, I started making freelance sites for one-off clients um, using Drupal back in the day. All right, very good. And then, so when did you come on board the Drupal Association? Um, I joined the Drupal Association just a little bit over three years ago now. Um, I came in, um, I was actually, I'm the um, lowest seniority member of the um, uh, engineering team in terms of tenure. Um, so I was the kind of last one to join that team. Uh, came in as a project manager and then um, about a year ago moved into the director role. All right, and Neil, have you been working with the DA since its inception or shortly thereafter? Uh, shortly thereafter, um, well, yeah, the, I guess the first instance of the Drupal Association was the Drupal VZW in Belgium, and I was on the, blanking on the name of it, but as, you know, basically the, uh, the set of 30-ish people that selected the board but that was that was a volunteer position. Yeah, though, right? yeah, that was totally volunteer. And then, yeah, since then, um, you know, Drupal Association moved to uh, be incorporated in the U.S. and uh, I've volunteered uh, more on Drupal.org, uh, starting out with API.Drupal.org, and then uh, did some contract work for the Drupal.org redesign. Uh, kept contracting a bit longer after that and then eventually uh, uh, they were like well uh, switched me over to being a full-time employee well thanks to both of you I know both of you have been involved for a while um, and you guys definitely do a lot of uh, a, a lot of the work that you know we all depend upon every day 
um, you know, keeping the servers up and running and keeping, keeping them, you know, just keeping the ball moving forward. So thank you very much uh, for your continued work. Thanks, Mike. And I just wanted to say thank you to you as well and to your co-host, Ryan, uh, just for um, both of your involvement in the community. I know Ryan's with Palantir, who's one of the supporting partners of the Drupal Association, and the supporting partner program is what funds the work that lets me and Neil and the rest of our team actually do everything that we're going to be talking about today. And Mike, I know you've been doing the community working group um, and helping us with community cultivation grants for, for quite a while. And um, you know, that's what we're doing this for. The, our whole motivation at the DA is to provide the resources that make the community able to do what it does. So thank you very much. Oh, well, that's very kind. Hey, let me, you know, I, something just popped in my head and it's not on the rundown. So I'm going to, I'm going to shoot a question at you real quick. That's you know completely out of left field. Um, I, I don't know did, if you guys saw the blog post a couple of days ago from Jacob Rockowitz. Uh, the web, the guy behind the web form module. Yes, the the contribute module. Yeah, what are your thoughts on the contribute module and kind of and making the web form module um, or making contribute dependent on the web form module as a way to help encourage folks to, you know, contribute and join the DA. I am thrilled by this idea. I, I am absolutely thrilled by this idea. I think it's a really cool, um, a cool concept. Uh, literally. Uh, maybe I have this wrong, Neil, but I think it was the week before that we were on a call with the core maintainer team and talking about how, um, you know, among several unrelated initiatives we're not going to talk about today, but having to do with automatic updates and um, getting more data about the community and all this stuff in core, we were like, you know, what would be great was would also be to have in core a channel for communication where we could have direct conversations um, with end users who aren't the type of people who sign up for Drupal.org and let them know about what's going on in the project, let them know about DrupalCon, and let them know how they can support open source. Um, so we, we had that conversation, and then I think the next week, um, Jay Rockowitz posted the contribute module, and I just think it's a really cool idea. Um, uh, and I'm, I'm really excited to see where it goes. Yeah, it's, it's, I did not know about the, I guess the contribute module has been, a, been, a, been around. I was not aware of it until Jake's, um, Jacob's post, but for those of you who aren't aware of it yet, Basically, what it does is, when you enable it, it adds um, a new row of of information on the status report page for the site, where you can provide your Drupal dot um, org user ID, your Drupal Association uh, membership information, uh, and it basically a lot. It, it basically ties your site to your account in some way. Um, and kind of gives you, you know, props for being a member or being, you know, being a contributor. Um, I, I think there's a lot of, and Tim, I think you were just alluding to it. I, I think there's actually room to grow there. I think what you were alluding to is that it'd be really cool if on your status report page, there could be like a little notification that like, hey, DrupalCon's coming up. Absolutely. I think that would be amazing. Frankly, I think... Um... The concept behind what the contribute module does now should probably be expanded into, you know, a whole separate tab in the ad admin interface that is, um, I don't know what we would call it, but that is about just the contribution tab maybe, or um, or a community tab even, where we, we, we could have this these project updates and these more, um, you know, this more um, come for the code, stay for the community attitude elements uh, right there in Drupal itself, the product. Yeah, I would love to see, I mean, first of all, I love the fact it's on the status report page. I thought that little bit was genius. I would, um, and also huge props to Jacob for making it a, a requirement of the web form module, which is installed on, you know, a couple of sites here and there. <laughs> just a few. Uh, <laughs> just a few, yeah. I, I mean, I hope that, you know, other um, module developers kind of follow Jacob's lead here. Um, because it, it seems to me like this is kind of one of those things that I didn't hear about until, you know, early this week. And now that I've heard about it and I've thought about it for a couple of days, and I think Tim, you alluded to this as well. This seems like the type of module that, um, could gain steam very quickly and potentially be part of Drupal core in the future. I really think it could. I think there's an opportunity there. Okay, so let's, real quick, let me, um, while we're thanking everybody, let me thank our sponsor, uh, DrupalAid. Uh, DrupalAid.com, 
DrupalA.com is a Drupal core and um, contributed module support organization that got their start with Drupal Geddon, um, which was a huge security issue with Drupal core that was released and, and um, a lot of people had to patch their sites really quickly. And it was one of those things where uh, the folks over at Drupal Aid saw that this as an opportunity to provide these update services um, to you know potential customers. So they provide Drupal support and maintenance services for Drupal 6, 7, and 8. Plans start at less than 100 bucks a month, no setup fees. If there's a critical security update, they guarantee that they will update your site the same day. If your site gets hacked, they provide provide complimentary malware hacking cleanup for any of their clients. Uh, their plans all have a manual aspect as well as an automated aspect. So um, they're really on top of things to make sure that when they apply updates to your site, that your site just stays up and running and, and you know no downtime. Um, so you definitely want to check them out. We've been talking about them for the past couple of months, and they're going to be a sponsor here moving forward for the um, you know the foreseeable future. So we'll tell you more about them as we go, but definitely check them out at Drupal Aid. Dot com. That's D-R-U-P-A-L-A-I-D dot com. All right. So, Neil, let's start with you. I'm going to put you on the spot here. Uh, the developer uh, uh, tooling initiative for Drupal.org. For someone that's listening to the podcast that's never heard of this and doesn't know what the heck we're talking about, what's the, what's the quick kind of 30-second description of what this is all about? Bringing in... Uh, more modern uh, tools, uh, stuff like pull requests and merge or merge requests or whatever the, uh, uh, yeah, whatever the tool, whatever the tool uh, calls it, and uh, potential inline editing and ways to reduce the friction uh, for uh, new contributors coming in. Uh, we want people to see something that uh, they know how to work with. So when I talk to people about this, most people refer to this as trying to make Drupal.org, the, 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 you know, the patching process, the contribution, the code contribution process, work more like GitHub. For better or for worse, that's kind of what people think about, I think, when we're talking about this developer tooling um, uh, initiative. So Tim, how did this, how did this get started? How did the ball get rolling on all this? Because this seems like a huge task. Uh, it's it's kind of an enormous task. And the truth is that it has started and stopped several times over the years. Um, uh, I think, you know, Neil, maybe you can talk a bit about the very first iteration of this, which was back during the, quote, great Git migration. Um, can you explain a little bit about what that was and how that sort of started a conversation back in the day? Yeah. Yeah. I, the idea of forking and... Uh, merge requests like that's baked into Git. You know that's been there since before uh, GitHub came and kind of stole the Git branding away from the Git project. Um, but yeah, you'll see even in some of the documentation if you dig in to the right places on Drupal.org, there's uh, suggestions on you know you could post you know the same format of merge request that goes to the Linux kernel mailing list, uh, for example. Um, you know, there's a diff format that includes the commit message or series of commit messages, uh, which of course people don't really use all that often since, uh, yeah, only Linux kernel seems to use that. Well, since new tools exist, I think is really the, the reason. Yep. And um, so, you know, the great Git migration was this process where the Drupal project moved from CVS into Git, and that was the first time we said, hey, maybe we should do something different than the patch workflow with that transition from, from CVS repositories to Git repositories. But at the time, there weren't really mature collaboration software suites that really did what we needed. Um, Drupal, it's interesting, Drupal.org's infrastructure and Drupal as a project is in some ways highly innovative and in some ways highly conservative. So we're innovative in that we developed a lot of code collaboration tools and a lot of um, the way that we built out open source uh, projects 
um, kind of from scratch because, you know, as of this week, Drupal is 17 years old. So we were doing this before there were really established standards for a lot of these things. Um, and we still innovate in ways. Uh, the addition of a, a contribution credit system to our issue queues is something that other tooling systems still don't have, um, and I hope they will try to replicate. But we're also conservative in that, you know, we didn't immediately jump on the bandwagon of GitHub and pull requests. We've, um, we have a, uh, an issue workflow that we're passionate about that we really like. Um, we uh, are still using the patch workflow. Um, to this day. So it's it's kind of a, a mix of situations. So to get back to the original question, how did we come to how do we modernize these tools in the most recent iteration? Basically, about close to 18 months ago, um, the Drupal Association staff and the DA board uh, put together a technical advisory committee, and that consisted of uh, Webchick, Angie Byron, Moshe Schweissman, and Steve Francia who were to work together with us to help reevaluate the landscape of uh, code collaboration tooling, um, compare it, evaluate that against the criteria of what the project needs, and then you know, compare these options against what we can maintain with a team of four engineers on staff and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, try and kind of develop these options. And so over the course of that 18 months, we've been working uh, in close contact with engineers at GitHub, with the team at GitLab. Uh, we've been working with Atlassian. We've been building prototypes. Um, we've been bringing in a few folks in the community, um, posting a couple blog updates, and just testing out different concepts to try and nail down how do we preserve what's great about the way we collaborate as the Drupal project within one of these modern tooling frameworks. So you mentioned briefly there. You mentioned the you know the blog post update. I'm going to link to all four of them in the show notes. I think those four are well. You, you guys can tell me. They really provide for me a great overview of where you were, where we were. You know the the options that you've evaluated, the evaluation criteria, the results of the evaluation. Um, there's one blog post that's dedicated to, um, you know, a, a, a potential workflow complete with like mock-up, you know, screenshot mock-ups and things like that. So that gave me a really nice overview uh, of this process. Um, knowing that not a whole lot of people in our community like to read, <laughs> that's not true, but <laughs> can you give us, again, just kind of give us the, an overview of, you know, what was that evaluation process? Like, what were the, you know, you mentioned the things, you know, that there are things that make the issue, you know, you know, our workflow great. Like, what were the things that we want to hang on to and, and not lose? Um, as well as what are the things that we really want to add or we really want to incorporate? Sure. Um, so I'll paraphrase a little bit from the, from the first post in that series um, when we really established what those criteria are. Some of these are philosophical criteria, some of these are technical criteria, and some of these are aspirational criteria in terms of how we want to evolve the workflow to make collaboration easier. Um, so from sort of a philosophical point of view when we went into this project, we knew that we wanted to adopt a developer workflow that would be familiar to all the developers who are outside of community. Anyone who might at some point in their development career want to come in and want to contribute to Drupal. This is, uh, as you put it earlier, this is the why can't we be like GitHub uh, motivation, uh, which is a good motivation. It's a strong one because, um, you know, if you're um, a developer in kind of our group, you grew up in the era of listservs and patch-based workflows. But if you're someone who's just started your career recently, you've been doing code boot camps and using GitHub uh, from the start. Um, and so we need to adapt to that, um, to that level of familiarity for developers, not just within our community, but outside our community. In terms of preserving uh, the unique elements of our collaboration, uh, what I mean by that is preserving many-to-one collaboration. So that's the idea of many developers collaborate, collaborating together on a single solution to a problem. So in contrast to the default GitHub workflow or GitLab workflow, where you have forks of forks of forks of forks, and some of them might be merged back into the canonical one, or one of these individually namespaced forks might suddenly become the new canonical one because the other one's unmaintained, et cetera, et cetera. The Drupal project has a value of 
having the canonical project for a certain contrib module and trying to make sure that we're working together. Um, and so we want the workflow to reflect that, um, uh, if at all possible, within these tool sets. Um, in addition, we've developed, um, you know, like our RTBC process and our testing process um, and a lot of tools with our issue queues um, that are not replicated in the issues provided by some of these other tool sets. Um, finally, uh, as I mentioned earlier, we have a contribution credit system, which is a complete innovation of our tooling and that's been created an amazing response within the community, both among organizations and individuals in terms of understanding who builds Drupal and what, you know, what makes it happen. And we want to preserve that. Um, and then the last philosophical motivation is, if possible, we want to be leveraging a partner who's going to keep making their, who's going to keep making, make the tool set better. Um, so someone who is going to, whose, whose fundamental motivation, whose business plan is around making better tools. And so once we've kind of hitched our wagon to theirs, um, hopefully we'll get the advantage of their continued iteration and continued improvement on tooling. Um, from a technical point of view, we need to retain the ability to, to, to uh, manage our data from an administrative point of view, both for the way the security team operates and to handle maintainership and all sorts of things. Uh, we need it to be maintainable for a small staff. Um, a few other things there. Um, and then for feature-wise, we want pull requests. We want beautiful code review. We want an inline editing experience um, so that you do not have to do a, a Git checkout and a local IDE and then push everything back up um, if you're just making a, you know, a, a typo correction or a code comment fix or something like that or a documentation fix. Um, uh, we want better administrative tools for maintainership, um, and we want some kind of extensibility in the tool set um, because the landscape of tooling will continue to change. I think what you're saying is that we basically, we want the, the best of both worlds. Absolutely. I mean, if it's, and, and that has been, to be honest, that's been the, a blocker. Like, to be very frank, I think that's been something that's frustrated people in the community before is, is because the, the, the notion has been, well, one of these worlds, you know, you know, depending on which side of the fence you're on, some people don't think the other world is, is actually better. Um, and, so, and they just want to say, hey, let's just pick one. Let's just change. Let's just do it differently. Um, but we think, having put in all this time, that we actually can have our cake and eat it too um, and really, and really um, put both of these things together. So I know that this, you know, you mentioned um, the committee with uh, with Mosh and Steve and, and Angie, um, as well as you know you folks at the DA. Um, maybe Neil, you can answer this for me. Are there, have have there been other people involved since then in helping with kind of help with the design and 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 building the mockups and the prototypes and just kind of thinking all this through, or is it still fairly close knit? What's that look like? Yeah, there have been a couple people who have helped out. Uh, Michael Hess has been uh, uh, building out prototypes uh, of these things, uh, kind of you know, minimum integration necessary to kind of prove something uh, works or, or you know, spot the problems, uh, which has been really helpful because really, you know, on paper these things all look great, but uh, you know, it's when you actually get into implementation is when you start spotting the uh, things that uh, you know either don't work or like make you go hmm I don't know if that will work uh, and uh, uh, Marvel 07 uh, he's uh, been helping out with the uh, version control stack that we use on Drupal.org right now uh, we actually have a pluggable abstracted uh, API that, you know, theoretically it's easy to switch to another backend. Uh, so, you know, when we were building this, Git was, you know, still competing with uh, uh, SVN and BZR and all of these things. And they, he actually wrote a bunch of uh, extensibility that sometimes uh, we were like, well, why is this so extensible? But now, now we're now we're actually uh, potentially using it, uh, and 
yeah, he's done uh, some work on uh, getting that hooked up to the um, uh, uh, various uh, backends. Uh, so yeah, it's not just you know Git or BZR. It's uh, w which what's serving your Git servers. So I feel like we're almost skipping over um, what is a, a pretty big point is so the team that you know they came up with the evaluation criteria you decided to evaluate um, as you mentioned earlier Tim github GitLab and Atlassian's a uh, bitbucket and there's actually you know it's all there in the blog post but you kind of do a pros and cons for each and, and hard blockers for for some of them, and, and where did that all land, and kind of where are we now, and what are we, what what direction are we headed right now? That's a great question, and it's interesting because even since the blog post, I think the answer continues to evolve a little bit, and I'll, I'll get into that in, in just a moment. But um, let me go one by one through kind of the evaluation process. So um, GitHub, um, we worked with uh, members of their team, both their sort of um, I forget the exact title, but their sort of developer partnerships team or and uh, just their internal development teams, talk to them about the needs of the Drupal project. Um, that's a conversation that had also stopped and started a few times in the past. Um, and, you know, more or less what we discovered is, yes, you know, GitHub is the, it's the 800-pound gorilla. It ha it's the thing everyone is absolutely the most familiar with. Um, but... It's just missing some things that we need. It doesn't have configurable um, metadata. Um, Non-maintainers have trouble, you know, uh, adjusting sort of issue states. Um, it's a closed source system, which isn't, you know, we think of it obviously as a, a hub of open source projects, but GitHub itself is closed source. Um, and we're in a position where we are confident that we need to use a self-hosted solution. And it ultimately became irresolvable to solve that problem. Um, GitHub does offer self-hosted solutions with their, uh, they have an enterprise product for that, but they, their legal terms don't allow that to be used in a publicly accessible environment. So you can use it for your internal corporate um, environment, but you can't create a public GitHub instance that's not GitHub itself. They want to be the central place for all of those sorts of things. So, we, so even though we had some great conversations with the engineering team when we did some proof of concept work and we figured out how to work around some of the permissions issues that we had, you know, that that kind of philosophical and legal divide with, with where they see GitHub's product direction kind of left us in the lurch there. Um, so then GitLab. Um, GitLab is kind of the new hotness in the uh, uh, open source tooling scene. It has all of the, um, the sparkle and sizzle. Um, I think a lot of people have been trying it out recently. They like it as an alternative just because it's so close to GitHub, um, but you can self-host it. It is open source, or at least the community edition is, even though the enterprise edition is not. Um, and they have just been aggressively pursuing features. Um, and um, I think you can see if you look at, you know, their blog side by side with GitHub's blog um, and their events side by side with GitHub Universe, you can see how they've been pushing um, the kind of market forward and pushing GitHub to make some changes to, to continue to improve the product where perhaps they had been resting on their laurels. Um, so GitLab was very promising. Um, and we did a full prototype. Um, again, huge thanks to, to Michael Hess, who was very helpful uh, in that process and is continuing to help us out with a lot of these things. Um, we did a full prototype, um, but we ran into some trouble. Um, so, for example, officially, um, GitLab self-hosted supports MySQL as a database. Um, you would, that doesn't seem surprising. You would expect it to. Um, however, when we were about halfway through the prototype, they released a minor update, and it pretty much broke everything. Um, you know, they, they deprecated features for the MySQL version. It, it certainly became clear that MySQL was sort of a second-class uh, backend, um, and Postgres was really the only supported environment. And, you know, maybe that's not the end of the world, but one of the things that that demonstrated to us a little bit is they're moving so fast that they might... You know, you don't you don't want the the horse to ride out from underneath you. You know what I mean. Um, right. So that's a little bit tricky. The other issue with it is their um, 
architecture is completely monolithic. So uh, it's not pluggable in its current state. You can't turn off certain, like if you don't want their issues because you, you want to use our issues, you can't turn off their issues. You can't, um, uh, the permissioning model is, a, is sufficient but not as flexible as it could be. Um, and that stuff is really, can be quite difficult. So um, it has all of the, um, all the sparkle and sizzle. It has some amazing features, some really cool things going on. It has a great API, although it's, a lot of it's not documented, so you kind of have to stumble around to find it. Uh, again, a, another consequence of how quickly they're moving. Um, but without pluggability and without modularity, we can't do this best of both worlds phased implementation that we were looking for. Um, that situation is changing a little bit, and maybe I'll save that for after I go through Bitbucket. Um, so on the Bitbucket side, that, this was our dark horse. Bitbucket actually was not on the list at the beginning of the process, but at Midwest Drupal Summit um, last August, we were all sitting around a table. Our GitLab prototype had just been broken by an update. Um, we were there with XJM and Peter Willannon and Angie and just uh, some other folks in the room, kind of head in our hands. You know, we've been in the middle of this process and we don't want to go back to the community and say, well, sorry, again, nothing's going to work. Um, and so um, we were like, well, actually, you know, there is another tooling option. Uh, Bitbucket's out there. Um, Atlassian doesn't have this sparkle and sizzle because people are used to corporate environments and JIRA and all that kind of stuff. So we project our, our resentment of our sprint planning process on, some, on the tools sometimes. <laughs> but... Um, but it's actually quite a good tool, and it's been um, and it's been uh, recently updated quite a bit. So one of the nice things about Bitbucket from its internal structure is um, the, they built it API first. So the front end for Bitbucket consumes their own APIs, which means they're all available to us if we want to do custom integrations with that functionality. So it has that level of modularity that we need. Um, it is closed source, but it's source available, and they have a long. Atlassian has a long history of licensing programs for open source projects. So while not ideal, it's it's at least acceptable. Um, and um, you know they they it's a mature product, so it solves some of the some of the problems like hard rocker problems like every fork is not a full copy of the repo like it currently is in GitLab, which means you know. If there was one fork per issue in core, that would be 200 terabytes of storage we'd have to come up with out of nowhere. Um, so mature product, modular, some great features, things like um, automatically um, uh, syncing with an upstream, syncing forks with their upstream so that your fork doesn't become stale, all sorts of, of interesting things like that. And so, but as I was writing this blog post, I got to the point where I was like, uh, you know, this is maybe not the thing that has the, the curb appeal that people were hoping for, but it, it's going to tick all those boxes, and it's actually pretty slick. Um, but at least in prototype form, it was looking really quite good. So that's the overview, and that's where we were as of the point that I um, posted this blog post. But the, um, the wrinkle in this little conversation is um, if you follow the comments on that post, you may have noticed um, that um, several folks from Atlassian posted in there and the CEO from GitLab posted and said, hey, we're really committed to Drupal. We want you to pick us. Would you get on the phone and let us know what it would take to turn the not yet decision into a, yeah, we could do that. So there's nothing new to announce there. Um, sort of by default, um, Bitbucket is still the direction we're sort of trending towards. However, we've been having several follow-up conversations and there's um, literally during the same two weeks that I was drafting this blog series, uh, Sid, the CEO at uh, uh, GitLab, uh, started the issue in their tracker to create a plugin system for GitLab um, to, make, to give it a pluggable architecture, which was that kind of the biggest piece of uh, that affected most of those blockers. So we'll sort of have to see how that continues to evolve. We don't want to just push pause again and just endlessly not pick a solution. Um, but getting that level com of commitment from, you know, a massive VC-funded company, um, you know, 
that just decides to read our blog and says we want to get on the phone and let you tell us how to make it work made us say, hey, we should give them another shot. So that's an ongoing conversation. Yeah, about halfway through when you were kind of going through through this for me, I was thinking to myself that the next question I wanted to ask was, how big of a feather in the caps of these organizations would you know, the Drupal project be? Is it, are we, uh, you know, is our community something that they are actively, like would really love to have? Because it would kind of be a, hey, look at us, we're host, you know, we host Drupal. Um, or, or is it just kind of a run of the mill? Like, like what's your, and I know that it's probably not the fairest of questions, but what's your, what's your take on that? What's your feeling as far from, you kind of already answered it, but you know. Well, so, you know, obviously when, when sea levels start getting involved and saying, hey, hey, we really want you, you have to assume that, that, that probably they have a business case for that as well, right? That, that, that they think it would be great press. Um, but the other thing is, you know, we went, went and looked back at Sid's account. He's been on Drupal.org for more than four years. Um, so it's not like he just signed up just so he could comment here. Um, and there are people we talked to at all of these teams who were already familiar with Drupal. So it's this combination of, hey, these are people who, who just like Drupal as a project um, and people who like the notion of, um, of having, as you say, a feather in the cap, something they can announce to the world, hey, you know, we landed one of the big open source groups because it's, that's been a problem. Most of these tooling options, there's a few exceptions and they tend to be with newer, newer projects, but a lot of the old established open source projects haven't made the switch. Um, and that's for some of the same reasons that we've had when we were coming up with these evaluation criteria. There's always been a compromise to be made and it's, it's been hard to figure out how to navigate that. I'm just thinking about the, the, the phrase feather, feather in, in the cap. And I'm just thinking to myself, like, how old is that phrase? Because no one's putting feathers in caps these days to signify how awesome they are. No, that's got to be 700 years old. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking about how ridiculous of a phrase that is. <laughs> wow, there's so many questions. But I, I don't want to take up, you know, uh, you know the, I don't want to take up the next three hours show. I want to try and keep this podcast somewhat uh, reasonable to, to about an hour. So the, the one, the topic that I definitely want to get into, and this kind of goes to the mock-up blog post, is the idea of, and I'm using air quotes here, I'm actually moving my fingers, Drupal flow. Uh, can you take us through what, this, what Drupal flow is, how the team currently envisions the, you know, like a, 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 an issue process to, to work with, you know, new interface, not interface, but new system X. Sure, um, I'll do my best. So Drupal flow, hopefully doesn't sound too pretentious because it's something I came up when I, when I was struggling to figure out how to communicate what I was trying to say in this blog post. But, but really the point was, let me step back and say why I defined this. So we talked to all these different vendors, right? And each of them has a documentation page on their site that says, this is the Bitbucket flow. This GitHub just calls theirs GitFlow, even though elements of it are Git and elements of it are specific to GitHub tooling. Um, GitLab has their GitLab flow. Um, and they all have this and they say, they each present those documents as best practices for open source collaboration on their platforms, basically. Um, is, is what that is. And for most of them, it's pretty similar. It is um, have a repository, have an owner of that repository, let pretty much any user, or if you want only invited users, fork that repository, and if they want to, create a pull request back. Uh, and the original maintainer can accept or deny that pull request. Um, and it's this sort of many-to-many -many workflow where you have, um, you know, you might have many issues opened uh, for similar sorts of things. You may have many pull requests open, many forks. Um, there may be, there may still be 10 developers trying to solve one problem, but they're all doing it in different places. They're doing it on their own forks and their own merge requests. So when I was looking at all these flows where they're, to be honest, what they're trying to do with that documentation is educate novice developers about how to collaborate with people. I said to myself, 
the Drupal community knows how to collaborate. If there's anything that we do, <laughs> if there's anything we do well, it's collaboration. And we have a more collaborative style of workflow than most of these other tools. And in fact, one of the folks on GitHub, uh, the GitHub team on one of our internal calls actually said, you know, I wish we'd done a slightly different model than the fork of fork for exactly this problem. I wish we'd made it easier to be working in one place with multiple people rather than fork and fork and fork. Um, but anyway, so for, so Drupal flow is the notion of having the single canonical issue, which is the centralized place for discussion of what we're trying to solve, you know, what we're trying to fix. Uh, then it has a code workspace, which is, uh, you know, a branch or a fork. Uh, it doesn't matter. We can conceptualize it as anything. I'll use workspace as a generic term. Uh, that can be, um, you know, checked out by anybody. It can be collaborated on by many different developers, and then a merge request can go back into the single issue. So many developers can work on one of these code workspaces for this one issue. And sure, sometimes you have multiple proposed solutions and you do need more than one, one um, workspace, um, and this solution accommodates that. But the goal is to keep that sort of single-threaded conversation about problem solving and to keep it more collaborative. So how does, you know, and again, forgive my, you know, my, my newbiness with this, but how, how does that, for someone who's used to GitHub, someone who understands GitHub, what does that look like? So we have an issue on Drupal.org, and my dog just came for a visit. That's her, her calorie here shaking. <laughs> uh, so we have an issue on Drupal.org, and for every issue, it sounds like there's a dedicated workspace. And that workspace... I'm guessing is going to live on whichever solution we decide to integrate with, whether it's, you know, GitLab, Bitbucket, GitHub, or, or something else. Sure. So we click a button and I'm kind of getting some of this from what I remember at the mockup. I, I don't have any of the, the, that mockup, but you know, you click a button on the Drupal.org issue, you're brought to, you know, this workspace and then, do you automatically have a user account on that workspace? Is everyone who clicks that button become a, I'm going to use a bit, uh, I'm sorry, a, a GitHub term here. Everyone becomes a collaborator on that fork or I, I don't know, maybe this hasn't been worked out yet. Maybe I'm asking, you know, I'm staring at a tree instead of looking at the forest, but how, how, does, how do you envision that? That's a great question. And the truth is we've, we've thought about, so speaking of the trees and not the forest for a second, we thought about different ways of doing that, whether you do it with, um, so, for example, you could have one canonical branch per issue and then a branch per proposed solution. You could have a canonical repository per issue, a canonical fork per issue. Like, there's, from a technical point of view, in Git, there's multiple ways of having different code paths that people can work on and multiple ways of permissioning who has access to those paths. But ideally, we want it to be seamless. So, you're in the issue. Um, you want, you see that someone has already started some code. So you want to go in there and review what they have. And maybe they've said they haven't um, finished documenting a function call or something. And, and you want to go in and help out. You can click view, get taken to a beautiful inline editor in whatever this new tool is. You're already logged in based on what you had in your DDO account. You don't have to create a separate login. And you can look at the diff, and you can click edit or comment and leave your comments there. And those activities that you do are called back to the original issue um, with links that make it easy to navigate to them. Um, so that means you have this easy in and out path from the discussion to the code um, in, in the appropriate tool. All right. So... The, the idea is that, you know, the, the discussion remains, the canonical place of the discussion, or maybe the only place of the discussion remains on Drupal.org. And we're, we're basically being sent out to the tool to do, again, I'm using air quotes for a lot of this stuff, but the work, you know, code changes. Sure. Um, and I, so I'm, I'm going to, you know, kind of take this the next step further. If we, if we actually want to get that branch or that fork or whatever it ends up being, then we're using you know, some instructions, you know, based on the tooling on, you know, exactly what we need to clone to get that locally, if we want to work on it locally, you know. And... Yeah, we'll have, a, we'll have a clone button with a clone command, or we may even be able to have it have one of those, you know, some integrated 
links with the right MIME type so that it can just open in your preferred desktop application. I'm not sure yet. It'll depend on the tool. But, but yeah, you, you know, you'll have a clone command that's like what you're used to. All of your, if you're the kind of person who clones, develops locally, and then pushes back up, all that kind of stuff is going to be familiar. And even better, instead of having to push up a patch, you're going to be able to push up to your proposed code workspace. So this will, this will hopefully... Will it completely replace the patch workflow, or will the patch workflow be a an option? Or are we like, what's the thinking there? Are we gonna just say goodbye to the patch workflow? And uh, that's a great question, Neil. Do you want to talk about that one a little bit? Uh, yeah. So, whichever direction we go in, uh, it'll be somewhat um, somewhat of a gradual change. Um, you know, we're we're not going to uh, you know, flip a switch and turn off all patches. Like the two workflows will be going in parallel uh, for uh, some amount of time, uh, at least until um, you know the new workflow has kind of proven itself. Probably it'll be a matter of analytics as well. I mean, if you see that you know within the first six months, ninety-five percent of all commits are with the new patch workflow. I, I can't imagine that wouldn't influence the, the timeline. And yeah, some other some previous iterations of these ideas. Uh, you know, we could potentially, you know, if you upload a patch, that'll in the back end convert it to a commit on a branch. Uh, that's a possibility. Yeah. So if we need to, we could preserve the patch workflow if we feel like it's something that's important to enough people. So I know that the fourth blog post, the fourth of four, <laughs> talks about. What's next? What are, as, as the team sees them, like what are some of the initial milestones and then future milestones? Uh, I, I don't want to get too deep into that because I, I can't imagine, you know, I, I can only imagine how much that is going to change and probably already has changed. Um, but I, I do recall, you know, one of the things that stood out to me was one of the first tasks, one of the first milestones was, and you kind of alluded it to earlier, was moving the canonical Git repository from Drupal.org infrastructure to the solution provider's infrastructure. Um, do, do I have that right? Yeah, and that's, we're well, almost certainly going to look at something uh, self-hosted for the uh, solution provider. Okay, so it wouldn't be off Drupal.org infrastructure, but it would be into the new, the new system. Yep. So, yeah, the pre-work for that sort of thing is... Um, you know, making sure that you know all of our data fits into the the new tool. Like, do we have to uh, ask people to rename their uh, get usernames? Like, if, if there's something we allow that they don't allow in their tool, for example, uh, I don't think we'll run into that one. Um, making sure uh, it can authenticate against uh, Drupal. Right now, you can commit with your um, Drupal.org password. Uh, we'd like everyone to use. Um, SSH keys, but passwords do get used uh, because they they work. Um, so figuring out you know what to do about that, uh, you know, is the is it time to gently push people away from passwords, or do, you know, is there a way we can make that work? Uh, and then, yeah, pretty hopefully transparently, if we do our do all of the work well, uh, switch out. Uh, you know, what your Git client is hitting when you go to git.drupal.org um, to the new tool. And um, everything will appear the same until we get into the, the next phase of work. Um, and, you know, one of the first things that we could do uh, is switch out the repository browsing, the cgit.drupal.org, the web interface to it, uh, for... Uh, what the the new tools provide us. So okay, so here's the here's the question that I'm sure everybody who's listening is waiting for me to ask is what's the timeline on all this? Other than influx, other than we don't know, other than <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know that I know that's hard. Um and the project manager in me is uh is gritting gritting my teeth and and, and getting ready to bear it. So um here's the thing. We want to, when I put out this post, the hope was that this was going to be, 
hey, we've, to we've, we've utterly wrapped up the R&D phase, right? And we know which solution we, we want to use, and we just have to start executing on it. That was, that was where we thought we were at the end of last year. Now, as I said, we've had some, you know, the, the folks over at GitLab have expressed uh, tremendous levels of commitment that they want a chance to, to prove that they can be the right solution. So what's probably going to happen, um, this is not set in stone yet, is we're going to continue checking in with them and working with them up until Nashville and see if they can prove out this pluggable modular architecture that solves some of those hard blockers. Because it would be great if we could have an open source tooling solution, one that has the sparkle and sizzle and kind of the excitement from the community. Those would all be wonderful things. Um, and if they really only need a month or two to sort that kind of stuff out, that would be amazing. But if we get to Nashville and um, that doesn't materialize, then we're absolutely going to move forward with a plan, I think, as it's outlined uh, in the post uh, with Bitbucket and continue moving forward there. All right, fair enough. That was, that was a very uh, reasonable answer, given the circumstances. <laughs> so let me, let me ask one more question. Let me, let's wrap up this part of the conversation. And that is for people who are listening who either want to help or have questions or want to lurk is there like a slack channel or an irc channel or a specific issue queue like where can people go to get more info possibly help out possibly ask questions uh that's a great question um right now subscribing to the drupal.org blog is going to be great because there will you know if if any major decisions change or if we put out a call for volunteers or if we need people to help test we're probably going to push out messaging on that blog as well as in our newsletter and things like that. So that's good. Um, as far as issues, um, there are some sort of legacy issues, but um, we haven't yet built out the new issues uh, that for, for this next phase of work, really. Those will all be in the Drupal.org customizations issue queue. So if you wanted to look at the queue as a whole, that's a place you could look. And certainly, if you just have questions or you're curious about things, um, you can reach out. You can use my contact form. My username, again, is Hestinet or anyone else on the team, um, or ping us in the Drupal org channel on um, IRC or the Drupal Slack. All right, very good. So real quick, let me mention, we're gonna do five questions with both of you uh, in, in a second here. Real quick, let me mention a little bit of Drupal Easy news. Still talking about our mastering Drupal development workflows with Pantheon, speaking of workflows. It's a six week live online class that begins February 27th. Uh, taught by yours truly using GoToMeeting. We meet for two half days a week, and I basically take you through, you know, building a professional development workflow for Drupal 8 with Composer, with Pantheon. We dive, you know, into Drupal in very specific areas a little bit deeper. We really get into uh, some serious information architecture, talk about using Search API with Solar, uh, hosted on Pantheon, um, as well as all the various Pantheon tools. So if you would like more information about that or would like to register for the class, by all means, go to drupaleasy.com. There's a big banner on the homepage. You can check it out. Okay, so let's uh, jump into five questions here because we are at, where are we on time? We're about, since we started recording, maybe 55 minutes or so. So let's see if we can't ban out these five questions in the next few minutes. So Tim, I will start with uh, you. Actually, what I'll do is I'll ask each each question that I'm going to answer from both of you. So Tim, name something interesting you do outside of Drupal. Sure, yeah. Um, so my um, hobby and sort of lifelong ambition is to be a published author of young adult fiction. So I have a manuscript that I've been shopping around for too long. Um, I'm on the hunt for agents and publishers. And uh, to be honest, the process of selling a book is much harder than the process of writing a book. But um, yeah. That's, that's what I like to do. All right, very good. And Neil? Let's see. Uh, I guess I probably cook more than the average uh, New Yorker, uh, despite the lack of good produce here. <laughs> you don't have like a restaurant supply place where you can go get good produce? They, there's good restaurant supply places for like interesting ingredients and stabilizers if you want to do molecular gastronomy or something like that. Uh, I lived with a molecular gastronomist for a bit. I can imagine that living, you know, living in the city like you do, like, you know, you're not going to have like the ginormous kitchen. 
No, no. Yeah. Small apartment. Um, and I lived in San Francisco before, uh, before New York. So, um, got used to having like avocados everywhere, which doesn't happen as much here. Nothing wrong with a good avocado. All right, Tim, uh, name your favorite movie. Uh, much too difficult to name just one. Um, so I'm going to go with my uh, top three animated films, which you will probably recognize, are all Studio Ghibli films. Uh, Grave of the Fireflies, Princess Mononoke, and Spirited Away. Um, I, I just I think those films are works of art, and I could watch them anytime, anywhere, over and over. Um, for non-animation, probably Lawrence of Arabia. I got a chance to see it on 70mm film here in Portland, one of the original prints. It was just a really cool experience with a actual someone performing for the overture. Uh, it, was, it was neat. And then something recent. Um, I thought the new Blade Runner sequel was actually pretty good. Um, I like that quite a bit. And there's not much good sci-fi since um, maybe Arrival. Uh, so that that was great. Tim, I think you just named six movies there. Uh, yes, six six favorite movies. Um, um, there's got to be some kind of hexadecimal system in which that's actually one. Amazingly, I haven't seen any of the three animated movies. I've heard of Prince, Princess, I, I, I can't even say it, Ma, Mononoke? Mononoke. And Spirited Way. And in the crazy coincidence, you know, so I, I live in Central Florida, um, you know, theme parks everywhere. So I subscribe to a couple of like theme park newsletters and I, re- and I don't, maybe I'm giving you news here, but I recently read that they're actually building and I don't know where I'm going to guess it's somewhere in Asia. They're actually building a the- a studio Ghibli theme park. Yes. I, I badly want to go. Um, I, my understanding is there's already like a huge waiting list, but, uh, that, that would be amazing. And I, while I haven't seen the new Blade Runner, um, I, I'm very much looking forward to it. I did absolutely love the movie Arrival. Yeah, wasn't it amazing? I mean, just the idea of where a main where their main character is a linguistics professor. Like, how often does that happen? It was really cool. Yeah, it was smart and it was paced the right pace. They they weren't like they didn't throw action into it just for the sake of throwing action into it. it was I really liked that movie. Okay, so how about your favorite? Oh, I'm sorry, Neil, your favorite movie. Yeah, I don't think I I haven't seen a lot of movies lately i don't know if i've seen six in the last year uh arrival certainly was was great uh if you think back like is is there a movie that if you are sitting in front of a tv and it comes on that it just stops you and says okay well i have to watch this movie now yeah i don't even have a tv so that so this doesn't happen (laughs) wow you are the wrong person to ask this question to yeah i've I've never never had a tv uh in in my home (laughs) uh i mean growing up i did of course but all right, well, you think about that one. I'm going to come back to it at the end, though. So you're not off the hook, but I'm just going to give you a reprieve. Uh, Tim, favorite music artist? Uh, probably Ratatat. Um, I like glitch and synthwave music. It's good, very meditative, good for getting in the zone. If I'm hacking on Arduino or going through code or something like that, which I don't get to do nearly as often as I used to, but um, yeah. All right, I have not heard of Ratatat. Neil, you listen to music? Uh, yeah, I usually, uh, when I'm working, I, uh, just put on KEXP or, uh, The Current, which is like the Minnesotan version of KEXP, uh, or, uh, my friends have a community radio station that, uh, BFF.FM that I listen to. What kind of music is it? Kind of all over the place. And, uh, there's a, they do a few shows that are kind of podcast format, like live, live recorded, um, what's going on in i don't think i can hang out with either one of you i think that you guys are both way too cool for me and my mainstream tastes we have pulled off the uh the the lie deal uh, mission accomplished <laughs> <laughs> good job okay so uh tim what's the last exotic animal that you have hand fed or held or interacted with in any way hard question but uh this may not be the last one i might have done something since this but um I, uh, Reed College here in Portland is the, is the college I went to, and at the end of the year, they have a, a celebration that's called Ren Fair, even though it hasn't been a Renaissance Fair for 30 years. But, um, and um, 
it's to celebrate the seniors finishing their theses and they, they set up art projects and all sorts of stuff going on. And one of the things they did on the previous year is they just brought an exotic animal petting zoo. So I think I held an armadillo and a porcupine and they had a cage where you could go in and pet wolf puppies. So that's, that's my answer. That definitely qualifies. Around here in Florida, armadillos are not considered exotic. They're considered things to avoid on the road. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that. <laughs> uh, Neil, how about you? I've probably seen interact with, with snakes at a zoo at some point, um, which that that's not unusual in Florida, is it? Uh, unfortunately not, no. <laughs> but, you know, it doesn't matter for me what's, you know. I got to figure out which question I need to ask you to, to find out exactly what's taking up all your time, Neil, because it's clearly not movies, animals. I'm gonna give you a, I'm gonna give you a hint, Mike. It starts with D, and ends with Rupal. Ah, okay. Well, you know. all right, Neil. I'll give you a pass on that one. But I am I'm coming back to the movie question, Neil. I'm not. You're not off the hook on that one. But so question five. We'll start with Tim again. What was your tipping point Drupal moment? Like, at what moment did you realize that, okay, Drupal is for me? Like, Drupal's the thing I want to spend, you know, not only my professional time on, but also free time on. This is a really interesting question because my Drupal career, as I mentioned before, the first thing I ever did with Drupal was um, uh, build freelance websites uh, to help put myself through college back in 4.6. I think I, I had registered a D.O. account, I know, because my account's that old, but I didn't interact with the community. I wasn't really a contributor. Um... I wasn't plugged into anything at that time. And then my career took me away from Drupal for, for really quite a while. Um, and then brought me back um, when the Drupal Association was looking for, um, for a project manager. And um, at the time, I was actually, um, IT is kind of a, 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 the IT careers are kind of a history in my family. So my mother's been an IT director kind of my whole life. And she was in the middle of her career change and, and looking on, uh, nonprofit IT things, and I, we saw. I saw the Drupal Association, and I was like, "Well, I still do Drupal on the side all the time. I love the community there, even though I'm not really a big part of it. Maybe I should get involved." And then, you know, ever since actually joining up with the association, it has just massively opened up my eyes to the kind of the scope of what this community does. Um, it's just the scale is incredible. And Neil, I think we probably already heard your answer when you to this question when you were talking about the Howard Dean campaign a little bit. Um, am I right in, in guessing that your tipping point moment was around that same time? Yeah, I mean, that definitely started it. I think the actual tipping point might have been sometime after that. Um, so, you know, Howard Dean campaign, uh, you know, that ended. Um, I think I was in the room for uh, uh, for the scream. Uh, I of course didn't hear it um, since it was the whole microphone thing. Uh, and then after that, I think a couple months after that, um, my uh, friend uh, Zach Rosen, who uh, got me onto that project, uh, found funding for a, a company called uh, we called Civic Space to do more of the same thing. Uh, but all of that was. Uh, well, you know, if this doesn't work out, I'll just go back to college and finish that. Uh, but yeah, getting them a first job after a civic space uh, with, with Adfimatic, that was probably like a, uh, no, not, not actually going back to college. I can make a career out of this. Did you start college? Uh, yeah, I uh, have almost two years of a computer science degree. So kind of know how to think like a computer scientist, but like I haven't you know, written an operating system or a uh, file system or, you know, all of those classes. All right. I'm going to come back to this one now. So you better be ready. Favorite movie? I think the movie I've probably watched the most, although I haven't seen it in the last five or six years, is, uh, I guess, Mall Rats. Oh, all right. That I can get behind. Ha <laughs> Perfect. Kevin Smith. Wow. I would not have pe pegged that one, but amazing. All right. Very good. So it's funny, Neil, because I think I, I I see you at just about every DrupalCon, but it's only ever for like a passing in the hallway, a quick hi. I think next time I see you, I, I think we gotta we gotta hang out for at least a few minutes because I gotta figure out what you're actually up to other than Drupal, because I feel like I'm not getting a whole lot here. So, <laughs> um, 
But thank you very much, you guys, for coming on the podcast today and sharing, you know, all this great information. This, I mean, it's really exciting stuff. I, I, I can't imagine the amount of work that you guys have ahead of you, um, and I, as well as the challenges that, you know, you don't even know about yet. Um, not only technical oh, yeah. challenges, but I'm sure there's going to be challenges with any time you, that any time a big change is implemented, there's, you know, there's pros and cons and people who, who want it to go faster, people who want it to go slower, people don't want it to happen at all. And, um, you know, there's a lot of challenges that, that lie ahead, but from, uh, if you read the blog post, and I guess I'm not talking to the two of you now, I'm talking to our listeners, but if you read the blog post and listen to what Tim and Neil said, it's really apparent there's been a lot of thought put into it. And I feel that it's it's the right kind of thought. It's not, they're not, and it's clear from what you said, Tim, you're not going through the process with a solution already in mind. You're, you're clearly going through the process, and, you know, to find the right and the best solution and, um, you know, incredibly difficult task. To say the least, I I appreciate that. I'm glad that's come through in in the work that we've shared so far, and I hope that continues to come through um, as we move forward. Very good. So, uh, Tim, where can people find you online? My username is at Tim Lennon on uh, Twitter uh, for my sort of professional Twitter. Um, Hestinet on Drupal.org and on almost every other service out there. Those are probably the best ways. You can also email me at Tim at association.drupal.org. All right, and Neil, how about you? Yeah, I have a Twitter account. I don't really use it too much. Uh, it's at Neil. Wow, you got at you got at Neil N E I L. Yep. You are you are just early adopter extraordinaire, aren't you? Yeah, especially when I wasn't using it at all for a few years. Uh, I get an email about once a month, someone wanting to uh, acquire it from me. Sounds like a retirement plan to me. It's all high school kids who can't write mostly <laughs> uh did get uh neil patrick harris's uh social media person reached out but I, yeah i don't think it's i don't think the twitter accounts go for that much or at least na- named twitter accounts so people can reach you uh on irc i know yep and uh drupal slack and yeah drum on drupal.org most of the commit messages uh on the drupal org commit uh, Twitter handle uh, are uh, are written by me. So yeah, I, I guess the point is you're easy to find. All right, so um, thanks again to our sponsor uh, DrupalAid.com as well as WebEnabled and DevPanel.com, longtime supporters of the Drupal Easy Podcast. If you liked what you heard and you want to hear more episodes, uh, we just released one um, with uh, David Hernandez talking about Drupal governance uh, recently. Uh, that was our previous podcast to this one. Uh, you can always find current episodes on DrupalEasy.com as well as iTunes, Google Play, and pretty much any other podcatcher out there. So one more time, uh, Tim and Neil, thank you very much for joining us, and we will see everybody on the next Drupal Easy podcast. See ya!